Hello, how the tech are you? This is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. I am historian Matt, and I'm a co-producer and one of the hosts here on the show. So I'm just going to jump right into my first story. It's a real quick one, uh, uh, you know, a, sort of a flash in a pan kind of uh, story. But uh, uh, basically, a mob burns a Waymo car in, to the ground. So during a Chinese New Year celebration in San Francisco, a Waymo car tried to drive through a crowded street in Chinatown, which is not a good place to go at that time. And uh, the crowd just like didn't like that and decided to break the windows and burn the car and basically burned it to the ground. The car wasn't carrying any passengers. No injuries were reported. Uh, I don't know. There are there's some footage. I don't know. I don't think it played. Did it of the actual burning of the car um, on Twitter? But uh, yeah. So Waymo car burned. What do you think? Um, I, I really don't know what to feel about this story. So, I mean, it's just property damage, so you can't really call it violent, but like, I don't think people should be burning stuff, but also like, it's a robot that's like dangerously driving through a crowded street. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm leaning towards like being on the side of the crowd. Cause like they're actual people and this thing's just a stupid fucking robot that could kill someone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, particularly in like San Francisco, they've had a lot of trouble with these robo taxis of various sorts causing problems. There, there was, um, I don't think it was in San Francisco, but nearby, uh, not too long ago where a whole bunch of them got stuck in like this one street and blocked traffic and everything for quite a while. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of anger about that. So when they showed up and like, it's in really a place that really should not be, uh, in Chinatown during Chinese new year where the streets were basically shut down for, for that. I don't know if they were actually shut down, but there's clear from the video. There's like people everywhere, right. Uh, blocking the streets and everything. And I did uh, want to say, I did see the video and it looked like what happened was they didn't like take a lighter to the car or something. It looks like somebody, they broke the window and then somebody uh, lit a firecracker or some like a big one, put it in the car and set it off inside the car and that set the seats on fire or something. And then it started burning from there. The size that you just held up your hands right there. That's like the size of a firework, like not a firecracker, yeah. a firework. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it was like that big, but I well, mean, there, like, it was a like big an explosion when you see it. It was, uh, okay. But I didn't actually see what it was. Like if it was a little thing or not. Well, the little firecrackers don't really make a big explosion. They're just yeah. loud and they flash. But like an M80, that'll make a big explosion. Yeah. But regardless, it set the car on fire, which may or may not have been intentional. Yeah, it's uh, not clear. (laughs) Uh, If it wasn't intentional, it was nobody was doing anything to to help the car. Right. I mean, they certainly intentionally destroyed the car. Yeah. But like whether or not setting it on fire was intentional is a different question. Because like, you know, something set on fire could become much more dangerous like if it sets a a building on fire whereas like just destroying a robot that's like doing dangerous things that where where you're like setting things on fire is where to me it gets into like dangerous property damage where you could end up hurting someone right but as i said like nobody was hurt Um, uh 
nobody was injured and nobody died. There was no, there was no, as far as we know, there were no passengers in the car. Uh, from the videos that I saw, it's the video started like right when, uh, I think it started like when they was hit by somebody had like a, a baseball bat or something and broke the window. I don't remember exactly what they did to, to break the window. Um, but like at that point there was nobody inside the car. So it was unclear, like maybe somebody got out beforehand, but, um, yeah. And then it burned and then people stood back and watched it burn and the fire truck showed up eventually. Yeah. Thank goodness. No one was hurt. Yeah. But well, that's all I got for that one. It was a short one. We'll go on to my next story, which is a little bit longer, but basically, uh, after a decade, a climate scientist wins his libel case. Uh, so what am I talking about? A decade ago, climate scientist Michael Mann, not to be confused with the filmmaker, but the climate scientist, uh, well, he sued two authors for defamation after the authors accused him of fraud. Uh, the authors also compared Mann to a child molester, so there was this really terrible stuff that they were saying. Um, so man is considered a public figure and usually it's pretty hard to, uh, win a defamation case. The, the bar for a defamation defamation case on a public figure figure is much higher, but man's work was checked by multiple institutions on two different contents and no malpractice was found, which is what the original authors were claiming. So in other words, man was verified to be telling the truth to the best of his ability and verified by other institutions. So after a decade, uh, we finally got some of this, like basically after a decade of going through court, there was the trial didn't last a full decade, but there's a bunch of stuff going on before you actually get to the trial. And, uh, then there was a trial recently with a jury and the jury returned a verdict. And basically, uh, man is entitled, uh, damages from the authors. So he won the case. And one of the authors was actually ordered to pay $1 million in damages. But of course, uh, appeals are still pending, so no money has been transferred yet. Uh, what do you think, Hunter? HK. Uh, I think this is really good for him. Uh, yeah. I'm very happy to see that. Do you know uh, who Michael Mann is? Have you seen? Do you know what no. I'm talking about? No. Um, so we went to Psycon. I'm pretty sure okay. he was at the last one. Uh, I don't know. I don't think he gave a regular talk. I think it was in one of the, like the lunches or something, the paid lunches he had to go to. But okay, you know, so he's yeah, been talking he's like, about this for quite a while. He's right? pretty notable. He's very notable. He's notable for coming up with the what was called the hockey stick graph. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. very familiar with that graph. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a real shame that like, you know, there are such bad actors that would defame someone like that. Uh, yeah, I think he was working out of the university of Virginia and he got attacked. Um, these authors went after him. These authors are of course related to some think tanks, air quotes there for this list only listening. Um, that of course were conservative think tanks that are done. Well, in the past they were denying climate change was happening. I think most of those uh, groups have moved on to not outright denial, but other stupid stuff uh, to stop any any action on climate climate change. But 
Uh, yeah, a yeah, lot of they, them will either say like it's not man-made climate change, yeah. or they'll say that it doesn't really matter. It's like it's there's nothing we can be do about it. Too far off before anything bad happens, or yeah. we can't really do anything about it anyways now, or something like that. Even though like we can clearly see the effects of climate change right now, like yeah. happening right now. Yeah. So, so terrible stuff. But uh, yeah, it's good to know. I mean. It's almost, it, it seems like he's less interested in actually getting the, the money for it. Although, you know, a million dollar judgment is quite a lot of money. Uh, that's only from one of the authors. So, and the other author, author was, uh, he, he also lost a case, but it only like, it was like a thousand dollars or something. And the reason there's like a huge discrepancy is this, the second one that owes a lot less, uh, isn't in the climate change, like denial track at all anymore. Right. He's. He's moving on to other okay. stuff uh, while the first one that owes a million dollars is still doing, still talking about that sort of stuff. And it's sort of like, don't, don't do this again. Kind of thing. They're being yeah. extra harsh on their punishment to dissuade them from doing something like that. Well, the yeah, other one I would say that, do you know, hopefully this, this will teach a lesson to anyone who might be thinking about doing this, but like the people that would be thinking about doing this, I think they're, they are beyond, teaching lessons too yeah yeah but so maybe that, you know it'll stop a publisher from publishing yeah defamatory work right yeah because i guess that's who they go after after the authors you know um or they're usually the publisher is uh the one paying for the attorneys uh oftentimes as well but uh that's all i got do you have some what, what do you have all right. Hello, how the tech are you? I am HK Perrin, and I've got a really cool story this week. Vanilla OS 2 is in beta. Uh, if you've never heard of Vanilla OS, it is an immutable Linux distro. And what immutable means is you can't write to the system partition. In other words, all of the software that makes your computer run uh, is safely untouchable. Uh, and you can add things to it by using what's called an overlay OS. Uh, so you can add like your own packages to it and you can add your own applications on top of it. But the underlying system will always be in a stable state because you can't actually modify it. Uh, so version two of vanilla OS has been rebased on Debian instead of Ubuntu. Love to see that. Uh, and something notable about vanilla OS is they focus on virtualization technology. So they actually have a way to install packages from most major distributions. So you can install Debian packages, you can install Fedora packages, you can install Arch packages, all on the same system. And they will run in a container environment to, to actually let them work, even though the underlying system is based on Debian. Uh, another interesting thing is they use an AB partition scheme, which means if you're running on A and it's time for an update, partition B will be updated. And then next time you reboot, it'll try to boot from partition B. And if that doesn't work, then it'll go back to A. So an update will never break your system. As long as you have a currently working system, an update using that AB partition scheme won't break your system. Uh, it's very reminiscent of how modern Android works. 
Uh, modern Android also uses that AB partition scheme, uh, and Modern Android is an immutable file system. It always has been. Uh, you know, Android has that system partition, which is immutable. Uh, but I think Vanilla OS is better because there's no Google at all in it. <laughs> all right, Matt, what do you think? Uh, that's pretty cool. I, yeah, as, as you're saying, it was a uh, um, immutable. I'm like uh, that would make sense to have VMs on that, and like then you know, like the base system is pretty secure. Uh, so, I mean, you probably don't know, but um, do you know how do they they keep it immutable? Is like, is it just policy, or do they have some extra technology that that ensures that the system never gets overwritten except by basically itself for the AB? So I knew how they did it with version one, um, but I don't know if version two is exactly the same. So I'll go over how vanilla OS one works. Basically you have uh, a file system that's mounted as read only. That's your root file system. Uh, And if you want to modify that, you can do uh, transactional modifications, meaning you can mount the file system, make changes, and only once you commit those changes does the entire thing sit on top of that underlying immutable file system. Uh, and I believe in version one they used OS tree. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, basically what that does is you have this underlying file system and you, you have a layer on top of that that you can make changes to that layer. And it'll look like the whole file system is changing, but all that's happening is like that thing sitting in between OS tree is keeping track of like, okay, this file in the underlying file system, you deleted this one, you changed this one, you added. So it looks to you like you're modifying the real file system, but the underlying OS is still mounted as a read only partition. Okay. Um, And I believe in vanilla OS two, they have, changed that so uh i don't know how they're doing it now but you can read more on the the blog post uh announcing this that uh they did change to oci images as their underlying structure so uh i believe now the partitions themselves the a and b partitions are uh images that that can't be changed you know they're they're immutable file systems even okay interesting so um i was just wondering like it it sounds like they have some uh, it sounds pretty secure although it's kind of strange to have like something writable on top of it because then even though you can't actually change the underlying operating system you kind of get the same effects uh at least within whatever like vm you're running or something that is true, but the, the whole uh, benefit to it is that if you do something that ends up breaking your system, you can always remove that layer, and then you're back down to that base image, which you know works. Right. Yeah. So it's kind That's of like, uh, like a safe mode, if you remember like Windows safe mode, where it just runs yeah. without like drivers and automatically loading programs and all that. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to that. I mean, not the same, because that's not based on an immutable file system, but it's similar to that. But what happens if you actually do want to make changes to the underlying OS to 
Uh, so I believe if you want to make real changes to the underlying system, you have to create your own OCI image uh, and then install that onto that partition, I believe. Okay. All right. Uh, which creating an OCI image isn't that hard. Yeah. Uh, so is this still a like you're, like you're always starting off with a base image that yeah. even if you really mess something up, you could always just replace that partition with one of their base images published from their, their repositories. Yeah. So this is a pretty uh, thin like OS layer then. So um, it's calling out for other, <laughs> for more stuff or running everything in a VM. So you have all your, all your control there pretty much or. Yeah. So one of the sense? nice things is it, it really, uh, keeps applications separated because they're all running in their own containers. So for example, uh, if you're using node, node.js in a container, uh, and then in another container, you're running discord, discord can't see what you're doing with node.js in the other container. Like it, not only can it not access it, it doesn't even know that it exists to discord. It is the only thing running on the system. Like as it, it looks around the system. It only sees itself. Right. You know, and like the kernel processes and stuff. Yeah. It probably means if you do have like multiple programs that need to talk to each other, it's a little more complicated. Uh, yes, it does get more complicated when you actually want things to talk to each other. Uh, yeah. But that should get better as, uh, as you know, where portals become more of the standard uh, and Pipewire supports, well, Pipewire already supports routing video, but uh, that's going to be another nice thing is like you can give Pipewire access to everything and then you can tell Pipewire what should have access to what thing. So like something yeah. can't just start recording you without your, your knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so I was just making sure like, you definitely would want it to be a fairly small or thin OS if you're if you're going to do an AB partition thing like you're talking about, because yeah. then you have to tw get have twice of everything. It's gonna yep. be so oh, that was one of the major criticisms of their version one, where yeah. each partition was twenty gigabytes. So if you had a hundred gigabyte disk, forty gigabytes of that disk was just used for system partitions. So you yeah. only had 60 gigabytes left to use for all your personal files. Uh, and with this new version, they are uh, essentially adding, uh, they're, they're creating a, or they already have implemented a new system that uh, I have no idea how it works, but essentially these file systems become much smaller. So rather than 20 gigabytes each, they're like, I can't remember what it said, something like eight gigabytes each or like five gigabytes each, something like that. But it's much smaller and it's much more similar to like a regular operating system installation where you have like, you know, six to 10 gigabytes for the OS and all your apps. And then like, you know, everything okay. else is like your, your user land apps and uh, personal files. So do you uh, do you have a computer that you're gonna try it on, or are you just <laughs> reporting? I have enough stuff to work on right now. 
Um, I am running the vanilla OS one on my, uh, like this little computer that I have that was like $130. So it's like <laughs> a really bad computer. Uh, and vanilla OS is actually really nice on that thing. Okay. Like it's a, it's a very streamlined operating system. So, uh, the reason the name is vanilla is because they don't make changes to the, uh, the desktop environment. So when you install vanilla OS, you get regular gnome. There's nothing on top of it. Uh, you know, they don't have any gnome extensions. They don't do any like theming. So you just get regular gnome with the regular theme. Uh, and you can add your own extensions on top of it and your own, you know, themes or whatever you want. But, uh, starting off with that very vanilla experience is really nice. Cool. That's a big reason I'm on Fedora is because Fedora also has a very vanilla experience. Uh, it's not perfectly vanilla. They do have, I think, one GNOME extension that is pre-installed, uh, but uh, it's only like to put their logo on the desktop, and you can just turn that off. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't change any of the like functionality of of GNOME. Cool. I'm not going to change from Ubuntu anytime soon, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I get a new computer and need to try something else. But uh, yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, uh, so that's it. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll read the show out. Uh, please do, so I can make a new uh, outro. Thank you for tuning in to How the Tech Are You? We do this show every week, and we put it out in several segments on YouTube. And uh, we also have a podcast that you can find on our website, ecoplexmedia.com, where you can also support us. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we'll have another video for you up on the screen right now.